0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another edition of the Bardic Inquisition. Today we're going to be doing kind of a part one of a two-part series that I'm doing over all of the D&D classes. And when I say all the D&D classes, what I really mean is all the D&D classes in the player's handbook. So to all you artificer mains out there, I'm sorry, but I will not be covering those today, nor will I be covering those next week. Today in fact I'm going to be covering the expert classes as well as the warrior classes. So without further ado, sit back, relax and get ready to rage. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, every guest. Did someone say rage? Because we're going to start off with the warrior classes. And in fact, let's go ahead and start with the barbarian, uh, which is the source of the rage in the first place. But first, let's kind of go over what the warrior classes even are and why these three classes, the barbarian, fighter, and the monk, are considered warrior classes. The Unearthed Arcana document that we got from Wizards a few months ago defines them as masters of combat who can deal and endure many wounds. But that's a little vague, so let's go ahead and dig a little bit deeper. What does this mean? Well, first of all, this archetype seems to want to convey that they are tough or resilient in combat, hard to take down. And it also seems to convey that they will be able to get a lot of attacks in, which I would say is true. Something else that I would say is true for at least the base version of each class is you don't really get spellcasting. You're kind of relying on those weapon attacks or unarmed strikes in the case of the monk, as well as whatever special combat abilities your class gets. Typically, a warrior will want a high strength and or dexterity score and then a high constitution score to, you know, help keep them alive. But going back to the Barbarian, Barbarians are proficient with all weapons, light armor, medium armor, and shields, but honestly, they do just as well without any armor. This is due to their unique class ability, Rage. While Raging, you do extra damage and you have resistance against all bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing attacks. So basically, if it's not a spell, you're good. There are, of course, exceptions to this, as there are with all things But I would say that's still a pretty good way to think about it. But let's go over those two subclasses that you get for the Barbarian in the player's handbook. First is the Path of the Berserker, classic. What makes the Berserker unique is their ability to enter a frenzy whenever they're raging. This frenzy lets you, as long as you're still raging, make an extra attack every single turn using your bonus action. That's pretty cool. Except there is a minor caveat, and that's that you take one level of exhaustion after your rage ends, so be careful with that. But don't worry, if you don't want to have to deal with exhaustion, there's also the Path of the Totem Warrior Barbarian. This path has you choose one of three different types of totem. You can choose Bear Totem, Eagle Totem, or the Wolf Totem. The Bear Totem gives you resistance against all types of damage except for Psychic whenever you rage, and later gives you double your carrying capacity and advantage on all strength checks. The Eagle Totem gives your enemies disadvantage on attacks of opportunity against you, lets you dash as a bonus action, and later gives you improved vision both when viewing distances and when looking around in dim light. And finally, we have the Wolf Totem, which gives all of your friends pack tactics whenever you're raging. And in case you don't know what pack tactics does, well, whenever you have an enemy that you are fighting and the enemy is within 5 feet of you, and you have another ally within 5 feet of that enemy, you have advantage. And if you know anything about combat in D&D, advantage is good. But let's move on to one that is often called the most basic class in D&D, the Fighter. And I won't lie, on the surface this class looks fairly basic, at least before you add subclasses, because if you look at the chart for leveling up a fighter, you can see that a lot of times what you get for leveling is either more attacks, or more ability score improvements, or feats if you use those, but let's be honest, who doesn't use feats? Like the Barbarian, the fighter gets proficiency with all weapons. But unlike the Barbarian, the fighter gets proficiency with all armor as well as shields. So what you have seems like a pretty basic meat and potatoes class that can use any weapon, any armor, and gets a bunch of ability score improvements slash feats and extra attacks. Some people might see this and say that this class is boring, but where they might see boring, I see highly customizable. And this is mainly due to the fact that they get a few more feats than the other classes do. And again, this is before you even consider the subclasses. Let's talk about some of those. First off, let's talk about the Champion. The Champion is a really good subclass because it lets you crit on a 19 or on a 20. It does other things later when you level up, but that's basically what you're here for. And then we have the Battlemaster. The Battlemaster is actually very interesting because it gives you a pool of superiority dice, kind of like Bardic Inspiration dice, that lets you use certain maneuvers or special moves in combat, a lot of which add extra effects to your weapon attacks. And then we have the subclass that is a favorite to many people that I know, the Eldritch Knight. The Eldritch Knight lets you do a couple of interesting things, the first of which is bonding magically to up to two weapons so that you can summon them to your hands as a bonus action. But the second and probably more important thing that this class does is it lets you cast spells. Now granted you are limited to spells that are on the wizard spell list and you are also limited further to abjuration or evocation spells, but that still lets you grab some pretty cool spells. For example, magic missile. And then we come to the monk. Now the monk, as far as martial classes go, is actually pretty interesting. Unlike the other two warrior classes, the monk only gets proficiency with simple weapons, and short swords, which will later be considered simple weapons anyways. And like the barbarian, the monk doesn't really use armor, but unlike the barbarian, the monk doesn't have proficiency with any armor to begin with. Instead though, the monk actually lets you add your wisdom modifier to your armor class. So, wisdom mod plus dex mod plus 10. The other thing that makes the monk special is that they get key points which basically let them use special actions during combat. Looking at subclasses, we have, first off, the Way of the Open Hand. This subclass actually makes one of your key abilities, Flurry of Blows, even better by letting you add extra effects each time you hit with it. And later, as you level up, lets you heal yourself. And then there's the Way of the Shadow. This subclass kind of lets you cast spells, albeit shadow-themed spells, using your key points, and later on lets you magically teleport using shadows. And then finally we have the Way of the Four Elements. This subclass grants you access to a variety of different elemental-themed abilities called Elemental Disciplines that have a variety of different effects, from controlling ice to casting fireball. But that's it for the Warrior classes, let's go ahead and talk about the Expert classes next. Moving on to the Expert Classes, the Expert Classes UA that we got from Wizards describes them as polymaths with expertise and elements of other classes. As of right now, that is not true of the Ranger class, but it will be in 5.5 or 1DND, whatever it ends up being called in the long run. That being said, the Expert Classes that's barred ranger and rogue, tend to be nimble and also good at other skills that are useful outside of combat. So typically you will want to have a high dexterity score and then you will want to have a medium to high intelligence, wisdom, or charisma score depending on whichever class you were talking about. Let's start with the bard for example. The bard typically has a high dex and then you will want to of course have a high charisma. And in this case I would debate that the high charisma is actually more important than the high dexterity. Typically a bard is good in charisma because they want to be able to excel in social encounters and they also need a high charisma to cast their spells. The two main features that separate the bard from the other expert classes are a their slew of trickery related and support spells and then b their ability to inspire others and make them more likely to succeed. But let's take a look at those subclasses. The first of which is the College of Lore. The College of Lore uses their cunning wit, and an inspiration die, to discourage their enemies, and they also gain early magical secrets. And if you don't know what magical secrets are, hold on to your hats. Because the bard, at higher levels typically, can take spells from any class that they want and add them to their spell list. And this particular bard college gets to do it before the others do. Can we say level 6 bard with fireball? And then we have the College of Valor, which is again an interesting bard subclass. The College of Valor lets you gain proficiency with medium armor, martial weapons, and shields, and also lets you allow your allies to do more damage when they hit with an attack, and also gives you extra attack. So in case you wanted to play a bard and also go toe-to-toe with an enemy in the front lines, well, here you go. Moving on to the next class in the Expert archetype, we have the Ranger. Rangers are actually pretty good in combat, and even better at survival. They get to pick a type of enemy that they are good at killing, and they get to pick a favored environment in which they gain certain benefits. Oh, and they also get to cast nature-based or druid spells, that's pretty cool. With a ranger you will typically want high dexterity and then a decent wisdom score, because wisdom is your spellcasting ability. As a final note before we move on to subclasses, the ranger gets a major overhaul in the new 1D&D document, so Consider that if you're listening to this episode much later on. But let's talk about the Hunter. The Hunter class actually gives you a couple of interesting choices to make whenever you level up in that class. The first one is between three abilities. One lets you deal extra damage to foes that are already damaged. Another one allows you to make reactionary attacks against giants that attack you. And then the last ability lets you make 2 attacks against enemies that are within 5 feet of each other. And later on, I believe level 6, you get to pick a defensive ability. The first option gives you advantage against being frightened. Simple enough. The second option gives enemies disadvantage against you when making opportunity attacks. And the third option makes it harder for enemies to hit you with multiple attacks, specifically by giving you plus 4 AC after the first hit. And moving on to the second and last subclass that the ranger gets in the player's handbook, the Beastmaster. This ranger subclass gives you an animal companion, and that's all you need to know pretty much. So let's move on to the final expert class, the Rogue. The Rogue, originally known as the Thief in earlier editions of D&D, tends to be good at stealth and sleight of hand. You ideally want high dexterity and a decent intelligence or charisma, depending on which route you're going with your skills. But that being said, if you're just worried about combat, you can always just put the extra points in constitution. The thing that makes the rogues special and kind of gives them an edge in combat is their sneak attack feature, which gives them extra damage whenever they have advantage in combat. Typically, this is from being unseen by hiding, for example, or this can also be gained by ganging up on an enemy with a friend of theirs. The other cool thing that rogues can do is dash, hide, or disengage as a bonus action, as in not using their full turn. This allows them to do things like go behind a bush, hide, and then in the same turn shoot off a crossbow shot at somebody and gain sneak attack. Moving into subclasses, we have the actual factual thief. The thief, unlike other rogue subclasses, can pickpocket as a bonus action and is really good at parkour. The second subclass that the rogue class comes with in the player's handbook is the assassin. The assassin is very good on the first turn of combat. First of all, they gain advantage on characters that have not taken their first turn yet, and then on top of that, if any enemies are surprised, any attack that the assassin makes against that enemy is automatically a crit. And then finally we have the arcane trickster. The thing that makes the arcane trickster unique out of the other subclasses is, da da da, spellcasting. The arcane trickster gets access to the wizard's spell list, but they are limited to enchantment and illusion spells. That being said, they are guaranteed mage hand, and their mage hand gets to be invisible and pickpockets. And also disarm traps. So think kind of like a half-caster version of a bard that has more rogue stuff. But that's it for the expert classes, let's go ahead and move into the outro. Is all I've got this week, guys. Next week we are going to do the Mage classes and the Priest classes, so stay tuned. That is, unless the new UA comes out for the Druid and the Paladin class, which, I mean, still stay tuned, but... Regardless, if you liked the show, feel free to send me an email at bardicinquisition at yahoo.com or consider donating at patreon.com slash bardicinquisition. You can also find me on Twitter at bard inquisition but again thank you for listening to this week's episode you guys take care have fun play games and don't stop dreaming